Welcome to your Hour of Power, where tonight we're going to be talking about the new listing on the JSE with its chief executive, Jelan Tlovo, and Peter Major, mining analyst. The company is Tongela Resources. It had a nightmare first day. We'll also be hearing from Koki Koiman, who uh, will tell us about something at the other end of the spectrum, First Strand's voluntary trading update, which shows that the economy has recovered far quicker than anticipated. William Sanderson Mayer. The editor of Medical Brief will be assessing the three options that the president has given his health minister, William Kise. Andre Saliers from Treasury One will tell us to take advantage of the strong rand, and this being Monday, the inimitable David Shapiro with all of his perspectives. But before we do any of that, let's get into the markets. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. Indeed it does. Justin Rowe Roberts has been watching as always. The JSE All Share Index was slightly down for the day. The miners were worst affected, most of them down on the day due to weaker commodity spot prices. Harmony Gold and Kumba Iron Ore were the two worst performers on the commodity counters front. Financials were up across the board. We saw an upbeat trading statement from First Rand this morning, with banking shares continuing their great start to the year, with Standard Bank being a laggard relative to the rest of the big banks so far this year, that being First Rand, APSA, Nedbank and Capitec. JSC heavyweights Richmond and ABM Bev were also in the green today, with the luxury goods provider and distiller also having provided solid trading updates to the market in the last few weeks. And lastly, Anglo-American spin-off Tungela Resources listed on the JSE and LSE today. The thermal coal miner listed at 25 rand and is currently 14% down on the local bars and more than 25% down on the LSE after Boatman Capital's report suggesting the company is worthless. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 13 rand 53 cents to the dollar, 19 rand 17 cents to the pound and 16 rand 48 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,889 an ounce. Brent crude is flat at $71.75 an ounce. The Kruger Rand will put you back 27,500 Rand. And a Bitcoin is trading at 488,000 Rand per coin. Justin, you got hold of the guys from Boatman Capital who have caused so much pain in Tungela Resources' supposed celebratory day. Are these uh, people to be believed? It's hard to say, Alec. I haven't read the full report. It is detailed. It is 39 pages. It is definitely something I'm going to have a look at. However, for now, it does seem like speculation, um, although it's interesting. I, thought, I think when you get a coal mining company, ESG concerns, and then a hedge fund coming out this report, you can expect a horrible day. Uh, a down day was expected, but 14% on the JSC and t- more than 25% on the LSE. There's a lot of value um, being lost right now. Well, we do know that Anglo-American wanted to get rid of its coal assets in South Africa because it does not comply with environmental, social and governance, this new ESG issue that you spoke about. So I guess there were always going to be a lot of willing sellers. 
Exactly, and we've got to remember that Anglo-American is a multinational company. Yes, it's listed on the JSE, uh, one of its secondary listings. It's listed in multiple jurisdictions all over the world. And given there's going to be some for selling, international investors don't want to be holding a South African thermal coal company. A, because coal is very unloved for good reasons. A whole um, bunch of green energy initiatives are coming through the pipeline. And in 10 years' time, there's a good chance that coal won't be used as a source of power. I guess the other thing, if you're looking from a global perspective, is you see South African rand at very strong levels relative to where it was in the past. Uh, you, if you can cash in those rands today on the JSE and get a lot more pounds than you might be getting in six, twelve months' time. Something that that Andre Salier is going to tell us about uh, coming up a little later. Yes, exactly, Alec. I think you've hit the nail on the head now. And uh, reading your your. Uh your letter you sent out this morning, I think it is a great time for all investors to maybe thinking about possibly the possibility of investing abroad. We are at 13 Rand 50. Pitfall Yun did tell us the other week it can get stronger from here. Um, but regardless if it gets 10 or 15% stronger, at 13 Rand 50, it does seem like a good, a good time to invest some money offshore, um, increase your US portfolio, even your European portfolio, and, and see where things go. Um, I'm sure it'll work out well a year out from now. This market report was made just for you by Bradrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Now it's time for the flash briefing. 75% of youth in South Africa are unemployed, reports the Times of London. The first generation of South Africans to have lived free of apartheid, who are also known as born freeze, are trapped in the country's worst ever youth unemployment, says the British media outlet. It quotes figures from Statistics South Africa and notes that data gathered from 200 countries for the Global Economy website puts South Africa at the top for highest number of unemployed youth. First Rand sees profits rising more than expected and by at least 35%. This is as a result of the South African economy rebounding strongly from the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic. The lender joins other South African banks in seeing an improved outlook for South Africa. Anglo-American South African coal mines, which will be listed in a new vehicle this week, are worthless given the scale of environmental cleanup costs. That's according to a research report from Short Seller Boatman Capital. Anglo will list Tungela Resources in Johannesburg and London this week, handing ownership to existing shareholders as part of its retreat from thermal coal, which is the most polluting fuel. The rand's value was helped as offshore investors bought a net of 513 million rand of South African stocks last week and more than 1 billion rand's worth of bonds. That's according to data supplied by the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. El Salvador may become the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender. This is according to its president, Nayib Bukele, who announced at the weekend that he would soon propose a bill that could transform the remittance-dependent economy. The move would make the Central American nation the first in the world to formally accept the cryptocurrency as legal money. Former Finance Minister Trevor Manuel has slammed the ANC, saying the decade under Jacob Zuma wasn't just lost as though everything was static. The country actually regressed. He said this in an interview with the International Monetary Fund. Manuel also highlighted the relatively high pay of public servants by world standards as one of the reasons South Africa has underperformed other emerging markets. That was your business flash briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for business. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, visit businessradio.com. Market commentator David Shapiro uh, from Sassfin Securities. Uh, Dave, it's 
been, I suppose, the focus on the JSC today, the listing of Anglo-Americans' mm. coal assets, uh, Tungela Resources. Have you been following the action there? Well, I have from a distance, and uh, it's not often that we get uh, coal companies coming onto the board. We used to have many in the past, and, uh, you know, it's good to see some smaller businesses and smaller miners coming on. So, and particularly in this area, I know, I know there's a lot of issues around coal mining today, and most of the big miners are avoiding them. But I think this is something, whether we like it or not, no matter where we take our stand on clean air, I think we're still going to be driven by coal for a long time. And uh, so it's good to see, and it's nice to see the ownership. Uh, you know, of this particular mine. And anglers have been very well known for that throughout their history of actually making assets available to minority groups. So, you know, once more, this is part of their history. It is, however, in their mm. best interests. They're trying to get their mm. ESG or environmental <laughs> social <laughs> governance ratings up. And, of course, today we had a a bit of a rain on the parade of Tungela with that report by Boatman yeah. Asset Management who, who uh, uh, maintain mm. that under the current legislation that is, or as it is currently drafted, that Tungela would be worthless. So what do you do mm. in a case like, well, first of all, do you know these guys? Have, have you followed I, them? Not really. Um, I, I don't know them that deeply, but of course, um, I'm sure they've picked up some area of the market where um, they're going to they're going to be certain expenses to uh, you know get the mine back uh, around ev- environmental issues that are going to cost a huge amount of money, which will take out all the profit. Those are not new stories. I mean, when I say not new stories in the market, and I think that every miner has gone through rehabilitation type issues. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure whether it's relevant, and one would have to really read the report to find out if it's honestly going to cost them that amount. And I can't see any government putting that kind of pressure on them on the basis that they don't mess things up. And these, Alex, these are not new minds. You know, these are not. This is not something that they dug up yesterday. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about it. And I think the way that the market was responding just tells you uh, how they feel about this report. So I'm not sure I would go short of the share. Mm. <laughs> so the market, did you say how the market's responding, uh, yeah. ignoring the report generally? I, otherwise, uh, if, if, they, if, if they really follow the report, the share would be zero. <laughs> it's not Got zero. It. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? They, yes, there's going to be a lot of trade when a new company comes on. Uh, we don't know the quality of the shareholders. Some people take profit. Some, you know, prefer to hold out. And then it takes a long time for a company to establish its equilibrium and, you know, for results to come out and for us to test management. You can't do it straight away. It's something that takes a bit of time. So the approach, I, 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 the approach here mm. would be uh, just to hang on for a while. Don't jump in. You might get them cheaper and you might have to pay more, but you'd have more certainty. Well, you know, do your research. <laughs> we, you should have done your research as well because it's nothing new in Anglos. And if you've gone through Anglos reports, you would know, uh, you'd know about the coal assets. So now we've got new management. We want to see, um, and, and this is tried and tested management. They didn't pluck, uh, management off the streets and say, we need someone to run. Let's just get the first people who knock on the door. Not at all. 
And again, Anglo have never been like that. They've always put quality management in place and helped them along the way. And they produced magnificent uh, uh, managers in the past. And it's always been a solid trading ground for mining for mining houses and that. So I would give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, the coal market is in transition. (laughs) As you mentioned, there's a lot of talk about about coal at the moment, whether you should be going into coal assets as well. But, you know, we still need coal. and, And I'm a greenie. I'm, you know, I'm all in favor of everything, but you can't, you know, when, when you walk past early in the morning and you see somebody sitting around a brazier, you know, warming their hands, a night watchman or somebody who's been on a, a project who's looking after a construction site, you can't say to them, you need solar power. You know, you go, you chuck that away. This poor chap's freezer. No, no, go, go, go get a solar, a solar panel to warm your hands. And I, and I think those things will continue. Sorry to be a bit cynical, but I'm saying it's it's in poorer nations and that it's going to be a lot more difficult to actually get rid of uh, rid of coal. And as long as they behave themselves and do follow the protocols, we heard from Neil the other night. Um, Neil Froneman, you know, yeah. how difficult Neil Froneman, how difficult is this and the pressure being put on? And even though this is a small business of around about three billion, they're also going to get letters about uh, how they should behave themselves and how they should mine and what they're doing. And um, you know, as as management have said, they, they today it's it's not a dirty business. I asked that question. They said no, it's not a dirty business because they clean the coal and they go through a lot more processes now to make it uh, you know to make it better burning. Uh, talking about being cynical, uh, forgive my cynicism on the uh, Zueli Mkizi uh, issue, mm. but it does appear as though there's a somebody's out to get him because he he doesn't seem to have benefited personally much by the whole digital vibes contract, but he did sign it, and he is now. On the chopping block, uh, Bloomberg reported this morning from sources close to the action that Sora Maposa met with Mkhizi over the weekend, gave him three options. The one is uh, to to retire or resign gracefully. The other one is to just stay away while the, re- the report goes on. And the third one is if you don't do that, I'm going to reshuffle you out of my cabinet. It isn't, uh, it's not, isn't happy times for Mkhizi. No, we don't know the truth as well. Eric, you know what I found in in, in management? Uh, and I'm sure he should have read this. Um, but in many cases, people sometimes sign the most ridiculous things. You know, people put things in front of you, you sign it, you don't go through it. And it's it's sad. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, but uh, there are very many, you know, a lot of people come and say, just quickly sign this deal or this is the kind of deal, whatever it is. And you trust them. I don't know. Yeah, you do trust them. You do. You always trust the people who work for you, the people who 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 keep you in touch as well. And it could be a case like that. I don't know. Um, I I was uh, I was hoping that uh, um, you know McKeezy would come out because we need somebody to be in charge of this vaccination process. We need it to roll out much faster. We need it more urgently. And I think what's happened is I just hope we don't go into a a stalemate where everything just grinds to a halt. I try to get my second vaccine, which was due today, and I haven't had notice. I can't get notification. And I'm a bit concerned that that 
that the process might just be grinding to a halt. We should be doing it on the weekends. You know, there is an urgency. And I, and I just, my whole hope is that we push much more towards the business side of it and leave the politics out and say, okay, let's get, <laughs> let's get things rolling and sort out all these issues later as well. But I can't, I can't say yay or nay for McKeezy, you know, whether he was involved, whether he wasn't, you know, One's got to be. I've I've learned in many cases. You know, you've got to uh, don't don't shoot your mouth off before you mm. you really know the facts before you really know what happened. It's a big world, and there's a heck of a lot we don't mm. even know that we don't know. Uh, <laughs> talking about something that we do know, though, first rand with the voluntary update that they issued today looked mm. very positive, mm. Dave. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get positive numbers coming through, Alec. You know, we're going to, uh, because of where we were at this time last year. What we have to look for, though, is is I like to look at the top line, which doesn't come through in the trading update, because that tells you whether companies are, you know, whether there's activity in the uh, economy. The bottom line's easy. We can all handle that. <laughs> that's, that's getting rid of costs, <laughs> bringing in efficiencies and so on. You want me to come into your household and say, you know, as an accountant, I'll help you in that. But the top line is what we sell. And only that tells you what activity is taking place in the economy, where the businesses are borrowing to expand. You know, I don't, not consumers going out to spend and to buy food, but rather the business side of it. And that's what I watch for in a, you know, in, in, in the results. Uh, what are they doing at the top line? Are they selling their products? Are they getting people to go out there and invest? And I think that's the important side. So I think that's why a lot of it was built in and the market kind of brushes it aside mm. uh, as, yes, we know this. You know, we know you're reversing provisions. These provisions were put in last year. And, that, and that's, that's what I'm – and their pockets – you know, I'm still searching for the mining side. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit of a mining bull at the moment, or, or let's put it this out, infrastructure bull. I think a lot of money is going to be spent in those areas, and I'm looking for the entry points, you know, and I'm looking for the activity that might be happening in, in those areas. Globally, it's going to happen, and that's what I'm digging for here, and that could be a boost to, to us you know, if we start to see it happening here. Wilson Bailey, you talk about infrastructure. That's in our business portfolio, mm-hmm. and it's actually done quite nicely recently. Well, have a look at that. And, and they're involved in, in projects, I think, in Australia. Hopefully those will come through. Look at Robex. You know, you could see it. Even Afrimat, you know, which is iron ore now. Um, look at Barlow World's numbers. Very, very good numbers. And they shot up um, on, yes, they've got Mongolian interests and they've got uh, uh, interests in Siberia. They've got interests here and that. So I'm looking for for areas around that, which I think is the is the kind of, that will be first out here. And, you know, even in the, even these coal mining interests, you know, um, there's a lot more. You, you talk to Peter all the time, Peter Major. He's an expert in this area. He knows it so well. And he'll, t- he'll point you in the right direction where the activity is taking place. And, you know, you, you know we always say those, um, if ever you've read the history of, of mining in South Africa, it was the people who sold the, you know, the picks and shovels and the tents and everything that made the money here. And, uh, you know, the wood for the mines and so on, uh, rather than the miners themselves. And I always look for the people who sell the picks and shovels. This Currency Focus is proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. (laughs) 
Take advantage of the strong rand by moving as much money as you can offshore to diversify your investment portfolio. That's the message from Andre Sedir, currency strategist at Treasury One, who joins me, Jackie Cameron, for this week's Biz News Currency Focus. I don't think that interest rates would move at all in the U.S. or in South Africa over the next two quarters. Uh, so, you know, the positive, all the positives that we speak about is going to be prevailing. Added to that, a medium-term budget speech that I think will be better comes October. Then we can, throughout the rest of the year, still see some positiveness on the currency. I do think that it's getting a little bit overheated and a little bit too much, but the market tells me and the supply and demand tells me that it will continue. If it looks a little bit overheated now, might be a good time to take as much as possible offshore if you're thinking of investing elsewhere. It is a fantastic time to diversify your investment portfolio, get some of your funds offshore. Take the opportunity now, you know, to try and wait for a turning point and to sit here and think that the turning point is going to be at 1290 or 1305, to try and wait for that turning point. You might just miss the opportunity. Diversify whilst you're getting good value. Do it continuously. Do it little bit by little bit, but do it. Do not sit back and let these wonderful opportunities that prevail in the market at the moment slip past your ability to take your money offshore. Take some of it offshore, make damn sure that you do it at these levels. And even if you have taken money at the 16 and 17 level, don't do nothing now. Continue doing it. Because if you continue doing it, you're lowering your average rate at which you did it, which simply means that your break-even point on the currency front would be a lot sooner. So don't stop at all. Continue diversifying by re-evaluating everything and putting some of your money offshore. You've been listening to Andre Salier, currency strategist at Treasury One. For the full interview, do go to businessradio.com. I'm Jackie Cameron for Business. This currency focus was proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. Well, the listing today on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange of Tungela Resources was, uh, well, predated by a little bit of controversy. Boatman Capital, a short seller, published a 39-page report on the website saying that Tungela Resources is worth zero. Uh, quite a, a statement, and uh, the chief executive of Tungela Resources, July and Lovo, on a day that, that should have been one of celebration on uh, the new listing, I see the share price has been under pressure this morning. Uh, July, are you uh, able to give us some more clarity on the uh, Boatman Capital allegations that to fix uh, to rehabilitate your coal mines is actually going to cost more than the business is worth. Alec, uh, good afternoon. Uh, the starting point, I guess, is to say that uh, the according to the Botman Research uh, report is deeply flawed, um, very speculative, insofar as the central pillar of um, uh, what they're saying is concerned, which is that we have not provided adequately uh, for our rehabilitation in terms of demand. 
Firstly, they make this uh, sound like this is a together issue. This is an industry-wide uh, issue in South Africa, and uh, the NEMA regulations on which Botman obviously are, are basing their conclusions remain a work in progress. Uh, let, it's common cause that let's just go back if we can if, if if we can just to understand this better when when mines come to the end of their life there is a legal requirement to rehabilitate those mines now that used to okay. previously be covered in the uh MPDRA uh the old right. mining regulations now the new regulations coming in you mentioned NEMA uh, you say that's a work in progress, meaning that they can still change a lot. So, so these regulations, uh, Alec, were promulgated probably eight years ago, um, and the reason why they've been deferred every every so often since then is because these are unworkable. Uh, they 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 arbitrarily inflate what the the, the 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 provisions need to be. In fact. In, in some strange way, the way um, Botman uh, argued the case actually proves the industry position that, in fact, these regulations are unworkable, which is why they've actually continued to be um, uh, to be deferred. But here's the point. Here's the point. The crux of the issue is that Botman are saying we should have made provisions against draft regulations that are out for comment. That's not a requirement in terms of accounting standards. Our provisions were audited. They comply to IFRS. In fact, we have gone further than the minimum requirements of the law and provided 6.46 billion on our balance sheet, although the law only requires us to provide about 3.9. So we actually have taken a far more prudent approach, given what we think is sensible, to argue that you know we should provide against arbitrarily um, regulations that inflate the requirements, not because the, um, the real uh, liability has changed, would sound uh, quite difficult to, to, to contemplate, nor would it demonstrate that we are responsible as leadership. I guess the issue uh, which was then raised on Bloomberg and sent out worldwide uh, was that the new rules were supposed to come into place this month uh, on the 19th of June, but now they've been postponed until 2022, June 2022. So w- there is at least another year of discussion that's going around there. But if they were to be promulgated in their current form, then presumably Boatman is right in being uh, uh, skeptical about the, the the rehabilitation costs or liability. If they were to be promulgated in their current form, I think we as the mining industry would have recourse against what are purely arbitrarily uh, regulations. In fact, the reason why the government has continued to agree with us as the mining industry and continue to uh, to seek uh, a solution that is acceptable that protects and grows the mining industry is exactly that point. Personally, I don't see these regulations coming in in the form that they are. In fact, I don't think anybody in the, in the mining industry sees that either. Peter Major is with us. He's with Emergence Capital. Peter, this is a, a big issue because the share price this morning is down about 10% on its first day of listing. We were expecting that there would be some selling from London, but given that it's now all over the wires around the world, uh, that the company might be worth zero, or at least that's the allegation, uh, that would surely have, have played on investors' thoughts. Sure, I like 
It probably did play on their thoughts. I don't know enough about this hedge fund. I'm assuming it's not one of the Tesla hedge funds that said Tesla was going to zero because I think most of those went extinct. But this isn't Tesla. This, this is a this is a mining share, and these these projected liabilities, these rehabilitation liabilities, they're continually being recalculated up and down. They're continually being negotiated between the DMR and the mining companies. And a lot of it has to do with the mine life. If your mine life is 20 years, 30 years, obviously you got a lot, a lot longer time to amortize the cost of that. And we all know that if a mine is operating, it can handle those liabilities for a quarter of the cost than if that mine is closed and then they have to start doing the rehabilitation from scratch. So this government supposedly is very concerned about jobs and and equally about the environment. And the best way to keep jobs is is to assist the company to keep running um, as reasonably prudent as possible. So – Hey, they might be right. The liabilities might end up being double, but over what time period? And they might be wrong. The liabilities might be a lot less, and that's what creates the market. Huh? Some people think the gold price is going up. Some think it's going down. What's the time difference? But we all know there's lots of hedge funds always writing reports on why some companies were zero. And we'll only know in the future if this one was righter or wronger. Uh, I suppose the issue here is that the life of mines in the portfolio is not 20 to 30 years, but as they say in the research report, Boatman Capital quotes 5 to 11 years. So if the new laws come in and they are as punitive as proposed at the moment, uh, then you've got to write it off against your profits in a very short period. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, we said this will be trading at a single-digit PE when it lists, and we said it's probably going to be under pressure for two, three months until it gets shareholders that really want to hold the shares. July, I think you right, uh, Alec, but also I need to, pro- to, to provide clarity around the, the life of mines. Uh, and we've been at pains to explain that, you know, we've got the optionality to extend the life of our mines as and when we need to. It's, an, it's, it's, an, it's not uncommon in coal mining that you would have an open pit that lasts uh, seven to eight years. And if that's all you're measuring, then you would say, yeah, the, the mine is going to be a seven to eight, eight year life. But actually we've got more than adequate resources in the ground to extend the life of these mines if we need to. The, the thing that would uh, confuse many people is that Anglo-American appears to have done a lot to make this company successful. Yet, if that report is accurate, they're selling shareholders and you, uh, July, and you and your management team down the river. Uh, because if you've been given a pup, uh, as, as is suggested, then what are all these guarantees and support that Anglo-American has been discussing? I, I like you have to, 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 to think about a company of Anglo-American stature and history and legacy doing the kind of things that are being described. That report is fatally flawed. If you actually go through the detail, even some of the most basic mistakes they make just makes that report to question. Let me give you a a simple example. He says, we have been way too optimistic on the price for this year. And he said, we should have used 60. 
On the one hand, he doesn't actually recognize that we've got price protection if the price is below a certain level. On the other hand, I'd rather be wrong and actually in this instance we'll be more conservative. Prices are way above 100 today. How can you then say his analysis is accurate? I think this report qualifies more as an opinion piece as opposed to an analyst report. Just on getting back to NEMA and the new legislation as far as rehabilitation is concerned, what recourse do you have to Anglo-American if the uh, government is to play very hardball? Look, it's not about if the government plays hardball. Peter is right. I mean, you, you first and foremost provide and concurrently rehabilitate on an ongoing basis. However, if, if at all it happened, and this is a nuclear op- option, this company will fail. You know that, in fact, Nima says the one who disturbed the, 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 the ground will rehabilitate. But I don't see that eventually, quite honestly. We have, got, we have done what is responsible and prudent in the circumstances in terms of what we require to do. We have actually looked at this in a fair amount of detail. Experts, independent experts have looked at what we are saying. Yes, they've asked us to improve minor things here and there, but by and large, we will provide it to be able to close our minds responsibly. But- and more importantly, we have said, we are creating a green fund into which we're putting cash collateral to allow us to be able to, uh, to, 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 to discharge of our obligations at the end of the life of our minds. What more could anyone ask for? But the question is, what recourse do you have to Anglo-American or none? No, you don't. You don't. You don't have... They've sold this business in its entirety. So the new... This sh- is a new break from, from Anglo. We are now together. So the new shareholders, Peter Major, just from, from a thinking, if you're buying into uh, Tungela Resources today, th- that's it. What Anglo has provided, has provided, that's to done. It's the new shareholders you are going to have to box with government or the new company that's going to have to box with government on rehabilitation. On a global perspective, what we've heard now from the CEO, is there, are these provisions in line with what you would expect in other uh, coal-producing companies in the countries in the world? Well, if we compare what Billiton, Cell 32, uh, Ceretti, you know, what these companies have been negotiating back and forth, yeah, I, I think it's pretty in line, Alec. So the new NEMA regulations that are being proposed are perhaps, as politicians often do, they, they shoot for a number and then eventually we come down to something that is more reasonable uh, after negotiations. Yeah, yeah, very much. And, and you know, government is, is slowly realizing this immense power. They used to think that they just had to write a piece of legislation any kind of legislation, whoever dreamt it up, they just had to write it, and the mining companies could click their fingers and follow it to the T, just how the people who wrote it up envisioned it. And usually they didn't envision all the the consequences of it. But the last few years, government's realizing not only do they have to put a lot more thought and effort and, and quid pro quo writing these up, you know, working with the parties that are supposed to implement it, but then they've got to stay with them monitoring how does this work in reality and, and how does it fit in with the, the 
the employees, with the communities, with the infrastructure, because our government has not been thinking three-dimensional from the day this, this Minerals Act came out in 2004. But they are slowly getting there. And so this is definitely a work in progress. It's in everybody's interest that this mine runs for 30, 40 more years and that it, it employs more people than today, not less. And that, yes, it mines very clean and efficiently and that the power plants are able to burn this cleaner. So government has every reason to make sure these are prudent and they're acceptable locally and internationally, but that they're workable. They have to be workable relations, regulations. But I also think that to add, uh, Peter and Alec, I mean, Peter is right. Not only does government have an obligation to do that, they have realized over the last six years that these regulations are not workable, which is why they have not been implemented. Just to close off with, the share price started at 25 rand a share, went up to 26, uh, then came down quite sharply, about 10% off those levels. Uh, from your perspective, July, were you expect, uh, were you anticipating uh, this kind of reaction from the investment community? Look, we kind of uh, expected modest volumes as, uh, as investors uh, feel their way. But secondly, we expect that over time the uh, share book is going to change from predominantly offshore to people uh, in South Africa who actually understand our thermal core story. So this volatility we, we kind of expected. And Peter, from your side, is uh, again getting back to the investment case, is it a stock to start buying now or do you see foresee further weakness before one should be accumulating? Well, I like to buy today... It is so tough because you don't have a clue how many holders are weak holders. You don't have a clue what portfolios and funds want to put this in. Look, if the coal price was much lower today, I'd probably be picking some up. The coal price is pretty strong. You know, it's following a very strong oil price. So you're paying for a share that's supposed to be reflecting a pretty strong oil price today. I would go in slow. You know, if I held some, I wouldn't sell it. But I wouldn't start adding to the portfolio until I see, does this start trading in a tighter range? But, yeah, the first day, um, only if, if you've done a lot of work on this and you say, boy, my one- and two- and three-year IRR show, this thing's given a 30%, 40% rate of return. I'm going to take it now. And if it goes lower, I'll just buy double. And, and more, yeah, give it a few days. Give it a week. More, more specifically, uh, would you then be ignoring what uh, Boatman Capital uh, put in its report about the company being worth zero? No. If I'd sit with my research team and say, let's go through each of these points. Let's Let's address these points and see how they – compare to what we believe the industry regulation is to see what we compare um, the overall environment's going to be. We've seen these with with Capitec. We've seen it on the financial services side. And, hey, there's there's nothing wrong with the report. You know, we know who published it. We know what their objective is. Uh, It's out there in the daylight. We can all analyze it. Corky Koyman is our go-to man when it comes to anything to do with financial services. He is with Denka Capital. Uh, Corky, first rand voluntary update to their guidance today. Uh, it's nice to see it on SENS, but why would they do something like this? Well, 
often it is when the expectations or when the actual result will be higher than they were guiding. And and this result that they're guiding us towards now is considerably higher than previous guidance. Um, so I think they're warning the marketers and the results are going to be quite good. And yet the share price only about 1.5% higher on the news. Yeah, that I must have found interesting because indeed this is – uh, this result is above sell-side consensus. You know, there's people whose, whose business it is to make forecasts <laughs> that publish their forecasts. And, uh, yes, I find it interesting that um, that the share price isn't stronger, but then I suppose you know, banks have been fairly strong and maybe, maybe the market was cleverer than the sell-side. Earnings up uh, over 35%. For the past, for the full year, that's what they're predicting now, uh, because there was a much stronger rebound in the South African economy than they had anticipated uh, just a few months ago. Yeah, so I think there are two things we must bear in mind here. Firstly, that the second half of last year, um, they took a massive provision. Um, so that depressed the earnings of the second of the comparable period on the sixth month and also interest margins came down quite a bit. And so it seems that as if the the provision, like with most other banks globally, we find the same, the provisions um that were taken in the second half last year were were too conservative. Although it was obviously at that stage, banks didn't know exactly how bad the effect of the lockdowns were going to be. And so we will see quite um, much better than anticipated provision releases. But having said that, what's also interesting is that they're guiding that their interest margins are actually slightly higher or higher than they anticipated. Now, Second half last year was a bit worse, um, but remember with lower interest rates, that normally is not good for for banks. So it does mean that they manage their balance sheet quite well. So if we now just unpack this in words that people understand uh, very broadly, when the financial services industry had a look at the impact of the lockdowns a year ago, because that's really where they took these big provisions that you you are mentioning. They were very conservative, it now turns out. They thought things would be much worse than they have turned out now. And the first of these to tell us this is First Rand. I guess the big question has to be, is it an isolated example or do you expect other banks to have had a similar experience? Yeah, no, as I said, this is actually a global experience. We're finding it almost everywhere. I, I can't, I'm just trying to, oh, there were actually one or two banks indeed that, that still took an extra provision where, where a lot of things went wrong. Uh, and even like in India now, you know, with a very strong COVID uh, second wave coming through, but generally everywhere banks have were forced to overprovide because of all the regulations that were put into place post-2008. Um, so, yes, the other South African banks should have the same effect. Um, and, in fact, they have been showing, you know, that's why I think the share prices have been higher and I think they have been guiding towards towards that this will happen. The South African banking share prices, have they reacted in line with those elsewhere in the world? And I ask this because banks in America have been – the top performers or amongst the top performers on the uh, rebound from of that economy? Yeah. 
So you're totally right. Um, our banks have lagged, and I think that more reflects still the concerns about um, you know the growth rate of the South African economy. So uh, the American banks have <laughs> literally shot the lights out, although they still actually represent fairly good value. Europe, year-to-date, European banks, because they lagged last year, have really done well. I mean, I think shares like ING that we have in our portfolio up something like 120% on the last seven or eight months. Um, so South African banks have actually lagged their global peers, and that is more in, I think, reflecting still concerns about the growth rate in the economy uh, going forward. So investors are saying, sure, we buy it. The banks are in good shape. And we, we are seeing that now with the uh, provisional releases coming through. But we'd really like to see, yeah, I think if our government was to introduce a few measures showing that, you yeah, that they're really going to try and make the economy grow with the right measures, uh, the banks could re-rate a lot further. So they haven't quite caught up to the improvement that you've seen in banking shares elsewhere in the world. And of course, not all banks are equal. In the South African context, given that we've now heard from First Rand, would it be a stock that if you hadn't bought it when it was a lot cheaper, you could still acquire today? Yeah. I mean, First Rand, as you know, we normally value banks on a, on a price to NAV basis, a price to the net asset value or the, or the, the capital of the bank. And first round, besides Capitec, is, is the most expensive of the banks. But first round at a price to, uh, we just measured to June for the financial year end is still only 2.17. That is the lowest since June. 2012. So that's the lowest in nine years and it's traded as high as, you know, a three point, three point something, three point one uh, times. So the, you can see that our banks haven't re-rated back to where they were in June 2019, pre-COVID, first trend was trading at 2.76 times. So, if the economy does surprise now as well, and look, there are a lot of indications that show the economy is doing well, you know, the, the, the resources rally, uh, et cetera, et cetera, what that does to our budget deficit. So if loan growth comes through, our banks could re-rate still quite a lot. First round then is still the most expensive, but they've shown now again why, because of the quality. Uh, but but APSA and, and NetBank are actually dirt cheap, literally. They are... Uh, yeah, if, if the economy does better, I, I would say the banks would be one of the outperformers. And, you know, most probably NetBank and, and APSA then have the biggest re-rating still to come. So the leverage, if you if you like, would be in those two. What about Capitec and Standard Bank and Investec, those three, the, or the, the three other big banks? The Alec, you asked all the difficult questions. <laughs> Capitec, uh, you know, us, uh, you know, analysts are continuously wrong because we, we tend to be too short term and it keeps surprising. It keeps, you know, so Capitec is, if you just look at the power of that machine and that it still only has, it still has less than 3% market share of, of banks relative to, let's say, 20% of the others. So if that continues taking market share, then, then Capitec is one of those shares you just buy and hold and it will, and it will continuously re-rate. And 
in the past, and I've done the studies, if you, if you took Capitec six years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it traded where it was now, you still did better than other banks simply because it compounds at a higher rate. So it always looks expensive, but it's one of those that you hold. Um, Standard Bank is interesting because of the currency effect. Uh, it's, it's, it's got 30% more or less in, in African operations. Um, and obviously a strong rand, um, hurts the earnings that they report from that side a bit. Although those currencies will also have been stronger. Um, and then, uh, Investec must say has surprised everybody. The new team has done very well, have come through and they're still also still very cheap. Uh, the big question mark there is still just Investec UK, which is subscale. Um, but if the UK growth comes through and it looks as if the UK could be one of the top five countries in terms of GDP growth on the next 12 months, then Investec will do very well as well. And it's also still dirt cheap. So it, you could almost just buy a, a, a bank ETF or buy a bank fund uh, because they're, they, they're all going to do well. Um, yes. Welcome now to William Sanderson-Mayer, who is the editor of Medical Brief. William, many of us have been following the story with Zwelium Kizi, the health minister. The latest development there is Bloomberg, which reports that uh, people close to the situation, and usually this is a number of usually reliable sources, they don't go out with these stories without really knowing what's happening, say that he was given three options by the president having met over the weekend. What is the latest uh, from your perspective? I think, well, uh, to to quote uh, one of the favourite phrases of our president, I was absolutely shocked that Zwelly Zwelly would be implicated in any way in this. And it's clear that he is implicated. Um, First, the background why I'm surprised. I mean, in in ANC terms of corruption, $150 is hardly worth getting out of bed for. And his share of it is is really penny-ante. We're looking at 160000 bucks for a second-hand land cruiser, and uh, some minor repairs to a home owned by his foundation. But uh, the issue really isn't the amounts, and I think it's very important that when we deal with corruption in South Africa that we that we don't judge it on terms of the amounts stolen. Um, we've become so accustomed to these enormous amounts that, 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 that uh, did the rounds during the Gupta years that 150 million seems nothing, but of course it goes it goes directly to his credibility as minister. And I just don't see how, at the time of COVID, where you uh, you have an absolute need for a respected health minister, both in local and in international terms, how he can survive. Three options that he was given was that first he'll be moved out in a cabinet reshuffle, secondly that he voluntarily steps aside, or thirdly that he actually resigns. So which of those three do you think he might take? Uh, Well, I would imagine that what Dromaposa would like, given that McKees is is one of his uh, trusted lieutenants and one of his supporters, that he would be reshuffled to another position in the cabinet. I don't really understand the difference between two two and three. Uh, Step aside? Well, he has, in a sense stepped aside in that he has avoided speaking in Parliament on, on, on health matters. But, um, uh, you know, that's uh, he, uh, it's very clear the way he's been speaking that they are seeing this entirely within legal terms. They're saying, well, 
is he has he done something that is criminally wrong? That's not the issue. You, uh, they may or may not be able to prove that he solicited this money. Uh, maybe this money was just put into his account. But the fact is he is implicated in moral and ethical terms, and on that basis he should resign. Just to unpack for us what exactly happened here, we've heard a lot about a company called uh, uh, Digital Vibes and that there is a 150 million rand contract. How did that come about? Uh, it's, I, I'm not absolutely clear how it happened. It certainly didn't seem to go through the normal tender processes. Uh, unusually, uh, Keys signed the appointment of, the, of, the, of Digital Vibes. Now, normally that doesn't uh, – normally – you, you can't have it both ways. On one hand, he's saying, my job as captain of, of the health ship is just to stand on the bridge and plot a course um, and, and, and point the ship in the right direction. On the other hand, he's signing specific contracts. That's very, very unusual. He cannot have it both ways. Uh, if he signed that contract, how come he didn't read it? And, I mean, it seems so unlikely. It, it stretches all credulity. But a minister couldn't pretend that he sees people that were in his office a month ago suddenly uh, pr- providing very expensive services to the, to the health ministry, and he doesn't think that there's something wrong. Um, I mean, could he credibly be so naive, stupid? Um, it, it seems unlikely. I mean, he's a bright man. It's a, it seems so unlikely. I, I did try and get hold of uh, Tasnim Meyer. Do you know her at all, the the former spokesperson or certainly PR person, not really a spokesperson for Mkize? No, I've never dealt with her at all. So she clearly isn't a very high-profile individual, which then tends to support his view that these were just people who were working in his office. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, these are people who claim, who, who on one invoice were paid $3.5 million to organize an SABC interview. Um, whether they were highly, whether they were trusted advisors or, or, or senior advisors doesn't really matter. They were people known to him. They were people with whom he traveled, uh, both to, to ANC conferences, to the leadership conference in 20, whatever, what was it, 19? And also who, with whom he's photographed traveling the world with. Um, so he, their, whatever position they might have, have had in his department is actually irrelevant. The fact that they were they with are. him and he was well known and he signed the contract, uh, he should have taken greater care. Uh, he should have taken greater care. And in any, in any traditional democracy in the world, uh, this would be – there wouldn't be any talk about three options. He would, have, he would have resigned and he would have resigned two weeks ago or maybe four weeks ago or maybe six months ago when, the first, when it first came out. So let's just have a look behind the scenes because nothing is ever as it just appears in the media. Often the media is extremely superficial, but you've got some some deep understanding of the subject. The whole national health insurance story that Mkhizi has championed, which many believe will bankrupt South Africa, we'd all love it, but we can't afford it, might that have played a role here in leaking of documents, etc.? I don't know if it's related to the NHI bill. Um, 
you know, MTs has championed it, and uh, as you say, I think there's. I've been. I've just this week been looking at the submissions being made to the portfolio committee on it, and everyone agrees that we certainly do need universal health care. But uh, whether the NHI bill, as it stands now, is a way of doing it, and whether excluding uh, the private health providers is a way of doing it, is really very questionable. I think, uh, but I think you might be onto something. I mean. There are certainly uh, Rob Corsa presides over a divided cabinet. Uh, it, it retains many remnants of the Zuma years. Um, in fact, uh, it, it might be an act of sabotage. It might be an act of sabotage against a tr- trusted lieutenant by the forces that are slowly being sidelined in Ramaphosa's cabinet. In, in which case, uh, uh, certainly a, a cabinet reshuffle, option one would appeal to Ramaphosa. It would give him an opportunity to keep keys in a, in a prominent position, in a powerful position, in a supporting position, but uh, get to get rid of some of the other rubbish that's sitting in his cabinet. I mean, he hasn't. He's barely he, he's, he's been sitting with the cabinet, which is uh, tainted, corrupt, uh, implicated in all kinds of nasty things, and um, now maybe he will have the courage to do something about it. The, the option that Bloomberg... Uh, outline from their sources was that um, Kesey would actually be moved out of the cabinet. So it's, he wouldn't just be reshuffled to another position, but he'd be put elsewhere. And if you think about, he's 65 years old, should be really hitting his straps given uh, the age structure of the ANC uh, heavyweights. He was the Treasurer General at the ANC when some, well, interesting things went down. This could be, in many ways, uh, if he were to be shuffled out of the cabinet, the end of the line for a very powerful uh, ally, supposedly, of Ramaphosa's. It seems inconceivable to me that uh, Mkhiz or Ramaphosa would uh, lose his undoubted talents. Um, uh, he's not a Magashule who's barely competent or Gwedi Mantashe who, who sometimes doesn't know which side of the he's woken up on. But uh, so I really don't think that I could, that, that Keyes is a person, as you say, at, uh, in, in terms of ANC, he's barely out of the youth league. Grim, uh, Gwen Ramokaba, uh, formerly in charge of health in the Gauteng Provincial Administration, is the favourite, according to Bloomberg again, to succeed Mkhizi as minister. Do you know much about her? No, I don't. I, I think it would be a great pity that uh, someone should be appointed merely on the basis that they're an ANC member and happen to have graduated as a doctor. This, given uh, given the, what has happened with COVID, given the the scepticism that uh, is it, uh, the campaign and the rollout has been met with, and the failures that have happened, because it's. Um, Everyone says, "Oh well, he's been a great minister, but uh, maybe maybe he's had his hand in the till. He ha- he he has been a better minister than our, that, than some of his predecessors, and then in fact, or, or most of his predecessors. But I mean, that's not a very high standard to set. He's also been quite intolerant. The moment there's been any uh, dissonance within his medical advisory committees, as happened with Professor Gray." Uh, he was quick to sideline anyone who was critical about the way that he was rolling out the, the COVID response. So, um, you know, compared to Dr. Beetroot, he's been great, but uh, that's, not a, that's not a difficult uh, act to follow. William, you do be- write a lot about uh, politics uh, with your 
uh, weekly column. How are you seeing the, pres- uh, the Ramaphosa presidency coming back from something like this, which is a significant uh, knock given the apparent loyalty of Mkhize to uh, Ramaphosa? You know, I, I, I think we must be careful not to overstate the effect that this has. Uh, this is a government that has been incredibly resilient. It has, it has handled um, incredible setbacks in terms of corruption, in terms of incompetence. Uh, this is this is a pebble in the road. It's 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 not a major boulder. It's not going to get the push the ANC vehicle off the road and down the cliff. It's far more likely it will just keep driving until we hit the cliff face. I don't think it's going to just de- derail Ramaphosa's efforts at all. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Business.